Welcome once again to our Bible study. My name is Dr. Abraham Manasseh. Thank you for joining us tonight. I believe God has something great for you. Please check our previous Bible studies at drmanasseh.com. During this time, we are all going through a very difficult and a challenging time in our lives. This is the most difficult moment of our lives. We are praying every day and trusting God for the healing of our land. And my prayer every day, every time when I pray, I pray that, Lord, please let these numbers go down. Please heal our land even before we, we receive the vaccine. As some of these uh, poor countries may not even receive the vaccine until 2022, maybe even some 2023, and we can't wait for that. So we rely on prayer. We will trust God that he will heal our land. And I would appreciate if you can join me also in this prayer, that God bring down the numbers, heal our land, even before we get the vaccine. You are our only hope. And as Christians, we believe that God is the Alpha and Omega. God has no beginning, and God has no end. He knows everything. The history of the universe is in His hands. It is tough for us as we go through this difficult time. It's very, very difficult because we, we don't know everything. We are just human beings. But I want to assure you of one thing. Let me assure you of this one thing. That everything that we are going through, no matter what we are going through right now, as individuals, as a nation, and as the world, you are still within God's timetable. God is still in control of history. Last week we talked about rapture. And we said we are the people of hope. We are men and women of hope. And if you want to receive hope, just go to the word of God. God, the Bible says, Christ in us he is the hope of glory. So this week we'll focus on what will happen after rapture, after the Christians have been taken up. What is it that's the next step? What is it that God says it's going to happen after that? And the first thing we'll look at, the reasons why we believe that Jesus is coming back as Christians. Our hope is Jesus is coming back. In nature, in fact, the Bible says, if Jesus does not come back, we are just wasting our time. As a Christian, your main goal is to make sure that when Jesus comes back, you go with him to heaven. That is the main goal as a Christian. That is the only reason for being a Christian. You don't become a Christian because you want to get BMWs. You don't become a Christian because you want to become rich. You don't become a Christian because you want to stay healthy for the rest of your life. If somebody promised you that, if somebody promised you millions, that you become a millionaire when you become a Christian, they lied to you. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. That is not the gospel. You don't have to be a Christian to become a millionaire. You don't have to be a Christian to have a big house. You don't have to be a Christian to buy a Mercedes-Benz or a BMW. There are a lot of people that you and me, that we know, some of them are your neighbors. They have a house that is even bigger than yours, but they are not Christians. They have a car that is bigger than yours or more expensive than yours, but they are not Christians. Let me tell you how you get a big house, how you get a big car. You just go to the bank and they approve your, 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 your request or your application. All you need is to have a good name, a good credit, a good credit score, and you have a job, you have a proof of income. That's all that they need. They will not even ask you whether you're a Christian or not. So if somebody says when you become a Christian, then you become rich, they are lying to you. That is not the purpose of our Christian faith. That is not the purpose of our Christian faith. And like I said, history is moving according to the timetable of God. And we remain men and women of hope 
no matter how depressing the situation is, no matter how difficult it is, brothers and sisters, let's not lose our hope. Let's not lose our hope. You know, First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, we read about it, I think we read it last week also, and several times. Paul says, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. Paul says, I don't want to, to live like people who do not have hope. We are Christians. We have hope. Even when we lose our loved ones, we do not lose hope. We still maintain our hope despite our difficult situation, despite our pain. Even when we go through painful situations, we still have hope. We will never throw away our hope. We know that Jesus is coming back. Why do we say that? Let's look at Acts chapter 1 verse 10. As Jesus was ascending, all of us will know about ascension day. As Jesus was ascending, the Bible says, Acts chapter 1 verse 10, His apostles, the people who were around them, they, they still had their eyes fixed on the sky as He went away. Then we have two men who dressed in white, Suddenly they showed up. They stood beside them. Verse 11 says, And they said, Galileans, or men of, men of Galilee, why are you standing there looking up at the sky? I like the next part. It says, This Jesus, this Jesus, oh, this gives me hope. This Jesus, I even feel emotional when I read this. This Jesus, who was taken from you into heaven, will come back. That's my hope. He will come back in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. When we believe, we have to believe the whole Bible. If we believe that Jesus came, if we believe that Jesus died for our sins, we have to believe this part of the, of the Bible also. Jesus will come back. Jesus will come back. And today I want us to look at the biblical reasons why we believe that Jesus will come back. And the second part of our session, we'll talk about the great tribulation. And I believe God is going to bless us. Let's quickly go through this. Let's look at the left. We have the present church age. That's where we are right now. That's where we are right now. Based on the word of God, based on what we have read, the next thing, we are expecting Jesus to come back. We're expecting Jesus to come back. And when Jesus comes back, he'll come back and rapture his church. And take his church back home. And after rapture, after Jesus has taken all the Christians and all those who have died as Christians, he will take them up to heaven. And while Jesus has taken them up to heaven, the next period, it's a seven-year period. That's a period that we call tribulation tribulation and that's what we're going to look at tonight and tribulation is divided into two we have the beginning part will be three and a half years and also have the second part the three and a half years also after the tribulation after the seven years of tribulation jesus will come back again with his church he will come back again with all the christians he will come back again with everybody who has believed in him all the Christians that he has taken up during the rapture, he's going to come back with them seven years later. And the Bible says they're what you call a millennial rule. That is 1,000 years that Jesus will be ruling here on earth. And at that point, the devil will be bound. There will be no more sin. There will be no more sin. Life will be totally different from what we know today. So for a 1,000 years, this world will be without a single sin. And that will be during the time of the millennial rule. Then after that we have the final judgment. Where everybody is going to be judged. And for the judgment for, for the non-believers, they will go to hell. The judgment for the believers, they will be given, actually it's not judgment per se, but they will be given a reward. 
based on what they have done, based on what they have worked. Salvation is not based on works. You are saved because you believe. That's all. But after you are saved, you are expected to do good works. We are not saved by good works, but we are saved for good works. You don't become a Christian because you are doing a good work. You become a Christian because you believe in Jesus Christ by God's grace. Then after you are saved, God expects you to live differently. God expects you to, to live a life of holiness. God expects you to live a life that's pleasing unto the Lord. And those are the good works that are expected from you. And after the final judgment, then we have the eternal state. I have said it many, many times. When God speaks, the Bible speaks of everlasting life. Everlasting life does not mean two years, three years, ten years, hundred years, million years. Everlasting simply means there is no time. Time ceases. There is no more time. Where God is right now, there is no time. God does not work based on our time. Our time frame does not apply to God. That's why you cannot give God an ultimatum. I have had many Christians, when they pray, they give God an ultimatum. You'll be disappointed, my brother. You'll be disappointed, my sister. God does not use our time. God does not use our clock. God does not use our watch. Where God is, there's no time. In actual fact, I know we talked about this before. When God created the universe, He created the world. And when he created the world, you put time in this world. So time only exists in our universe. In heaven, there is no time. It's very difficult for us to, to understand it because all we know is time. We're born in time. We live in time. We eat by time. Everything is time, time. We meet based on the time. We meet at 7 p.m. Everything is about time. But there is a place where there is no time, where time does not exist. And that is the presence of God. So, those who are Christians, they will live with God forever. Those who are not Christians, they will stay in hell forever. And we are going, tonight we are going to focus on the tribulation period. We have to believe what the Bible says, not what so and so said, not what prophet so and so said. No, tell me what the Bible says. Don't tell me what prophet so and so said. Show me where it's written in the Bible. We have to base our faith on the word of God, not any other thing. And let's quickly go through biblical reasons why we believe that Jesus is coming back. Number one, Jesus talked about it. Jesus talked about it. Actually, the word of God in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The Bible says, the church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. The church is the bride and Jesus is the groom. And I want you to understand something here because I'm going to go through some few things here. When Jesus talked about the relationship between the church and him, and he gave an analogy of a wedding, it's because in their culture it made a lot of sense. And I want you to follow this it will help you also to understand why Jesus put it the way he did. And it will help you to understand some few scriptures because most of the scriptures they were written based on the culture of that place. In Matthew chapter 25, in Matthew chapter 25 verse 1, the Bible says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like the ten virgins who took their lambs and went to meet the bridegroom. I want to spend some few minutes here talking about the culture at that point. In their culture, or in the Jewish culture at that point, when a young man wanted to get married, he would go to the, uh, to the woman's house or the woman's uh, place, and he would talk with them and say, I want to marry your daughter. And when the parents agree, when the family agrees, then what he will do, there will be some time of preparation before he could come back to marry her. And some of the, pre the preparations that happened is when the young man leaves, when the groom leaves, he will go home. When he goes home, he reports to his father. 
This is very important. He reports to his father and say, Father, I have seen a girl and I want to marry her. So the father will ask him, so where would you put the, the girl? And he will say, okay, now what we need to do is to start to prepare a place where you guys can stay. And they will build a house. While he's busy building a house, while he's busy preparing a place that he will stay with his wife, his future wife, the girl also, the lady in the house, back at home, she's busy preparing herself for that time. And she will invite her friends. She will invite her, her maids. And these girls, what they will do, they will prepare themselves and wait for the, for the groom to come so he can collect his, his wife. So as they are waiting, they will put on special clothing. And that special clothing was only for the wedding. And they would prepare themselves and put on wedding gowns or wedding clothing that is relevant for the occasion. And they did not know whether he will come during the day or he will come at night. And what will happen is each one of them, they will have a lamp. They will have a lamp. So you will need to have enough oil to put on your lamp. So all of them, they will get ready. Because if you don't have the lamp that is ready, it means you're not ready for the occasion. So they will be ready during the day and they will be ready at night. They will just be staying in one place, waiting for the groom to finish the house. Once the house is finished, then the young man will come with his parents. He will come with his family. He will come with his friends. And they will come to this house, to, this, to, to, the, to, the, uh, to the bride's house. To collect the bride. And during that time, after they have collected the, the bride, they will go back home and they will have a service, they will have a ceremony, they will have a big party. And that party, that ceremony takes about seven years, I mean, seven days. Seven days of celebration. Now, I want us to go to a very popular verse of scripture that we have read so many times, and it will start to make sense to you. So when Jesus talked about John chapter 14, to the culture of that era, to the people that he was talking to, that is the mentality that they had. So it made a lot of sense. Let's go to John chapter 14. He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. There we go. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Wow. Wow. That is a, that is a group. He's telling them, the bride, I'm going to prepare a place for you. Let's look at verse 3. And if I go and prepare for a place for you, I will come again. That's Jesus speaking. I will come again and receive you. To myself. Jesus is talking about his church. He's talking about his groom, I mean his, his bride, that I'm coming back to receive my, my bride. I'm coming back to receive my wife. Jesus is saying he's coming back. And he emphasizes, he says, that where I am, there you may be also. For one to become a member of a family, especially if you are a a woman. You have to be married to that family. My wife, her last name is Manasseh. For her to become Manasseh, she had to be married to me. Or else she will stay Kalel, because that's her former last name. But for her to change her last name and, and take my name, it's, she has to get married to me. And Jesus spoke about the same thing. Let's look at verse 4. He says, And where I go, you know. And the way, you know. And Thomas said, to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. And how can we know the way? Verse 6 is the key. Jesus said to him, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one can become part of my family. No one can become part of my father's family except I marry that person. No one comes to the Father except through me. There is no way we can become part of heaven without Jesus. Our, our salvation is based on Christ and Christ alone. Our salvation is based on Christ and Christ alone. 
That's Jesus who's saying he's coming back. There's no salvation outside Jesus. There's no any other mediator between man and God. Jesus says he's the only one. He says, I'm going to my father to prepare a place for you as my bride. When I'm done, I will come back. Jesus told his disciples so many, many times. Actually, when Jesus spoke this message, it was on his final night with them. It was a night before his crucifixion. So he talked with them. He told them that I'm going, I'm leaving. Please, let your hearts not be troubled. Don't worry, be comforted. Stay with hope. Remain hopeful. Unfortunately, they didn't understand him. But they got it later. And the next one that I want us to see is Luke chapter 17. Jesus talked about it also. Luke chapter 17 verse 26. The Bible says, When the Son of Man returns, this is Jesus speaking, it will be like it was in Noah's days. We all know what happened during Noah's days. Noah was told by God to build an ark. And as Noah was building an ark, he spent years and years and years building an ark. Now, I want you to understand that between Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 6, there was not even a single drop of rain. Today we say, oh, there is hurricane, oh, there is this uh, tropical storms coming. There was nothing like that. It had never rained. They did not know rain. There was nothing called rain. But here is Noah. He comes to the nation. He comes to the people and he tells them, God says this nation is too sinful. And God says he's going to destroy this. He will use water. Rain is coming. Just imagine what they were telling him. Some have said, oh, you, you are mad. What is that? What is rain? Nothing has ever happened. Leave us alone. Let, let, leave us alone. Let us continue to drink. Let us continue to sin. Let us continue to do whatever we want. Hey, let us, leave us with our freedom. And everyone... Looked at him like he was a madman. But Noah continued to build the ark. Despite what they were saying to him. And some of you, when you told your brother that I'm a Christian, you told your sister that I've repented, now I've joined the Bazarano group. Oh, what? You are a Christian? And they made fun out of you. They made jokes of you. When they meet you, oh, mom, mom fundis, mom fundis, just to make a joke out of you. Oh, I heard you also in Fundis now. Oh, you have joined the Bafundis now. And they make fun out of you. Just like they did with Noah. Verse 27, the Bible says, In those days, the people enjoyed banquets. And they had parties, they had weddings. Right up to the time when Noah entered his boat. And the flood came. And it destroyed all of them. Verse 28. Verse 28, the Bible says, and the world will be as it was in the days of Lot. Do you remember Lot? God told, told Lot to leave Sodom and Gomorrah because he wanted to destroy those two cities. The Bible says people went about their daily business. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling. They went to the mall, they were farming, they had a lot of fun, they did everything, they were building like what we are doing today, until the morning Lord left Sodom. I mean, it, it looks like today's picture. People are just going around about their own businesses. They don't care about Christ. They don't care about Christianity. They don't care about God. Then fire and burning sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. Yes, it will be business as usual right up to the day when the Son of Man is revealed. This is Jesus who is speaking. I mean, if you believe some words in the Bible, you have to be, it's either you believe the whole Bible, or you don't believe the whole Bible. You cannot believe half of the Bible. If Jesus says he's coming back, and when he comes back, it will be business as usual. People will be living their lives as usual. You have to believe that. You have to believe that. Number two. We see the disciples also, they talked about it. The apostles talked about it. Second Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. What we are seeing here also is the Bible says Jesus is coming back. 
Second Peter chapter 3 verse 9, it emphasizes the same thing. The Lord is not really being slow about his promises. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to repent. Our faith and our hope should be based on the word of God. Should be based on the word of God. It should not be based on prophets so and so, like I said. Some of them, they're just prophet lying to you for their own benefit. Don't quote me a prophet. Quote me the word of God. Then you'll be my friend. Because that's what's important to me. What is it that the Bible says about the second coming of Christ? The Bible says Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. And that should be the basis of our faith. The third one. There are so many prophecies in the Bible that talk about Jesus' first and second coming. And I want us to quickly go through this. Uh, this is when Jesus started his ministry. As Jesus was about to start his ministry, one day, you know, he went to the synagogue. Now, the Jews at that point, they were expecting the Messiah who will come and save them from the Roman Empire. So, always when they, saw, they thought of the Messiah, they were expecting a political leader. They were expecting somebody who will come and save them. So what they used to do is, in their synagogues, they will save a special seat. That empty seat was only saved for the Messiah because they knew the Messiah is coming and they believed that when the Messiah comes, he will sit on that seat. So in their synagogue, they will have a special seat, an empty seat. That was reserved for the Messiah. Nobody will touch that seat. Nobody will sit on that seat. So let's look at Luke chapter 4 verse 17. One day Jesus went to the synagogue and it was time for the scripture to be read. And the Bible says Jesus stood up and he went up front. Luke chapter 4 verse 17, the Bible says, and he was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah. So he asked them to give them to give him the book of Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written. That's 18. I want us to go through this and see what it was what was written then. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to do the following things. Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. Number two, he has sent me to heal the broken hearts. Or to bring heal the broken hearted. Number three, to proclaim liberty to the captives. And recovery of sight to the blind. Number four, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Number five, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Wow. That is, that's how far that he went. He did not read the rest of the, of the chapter. Jesus just looked at them and said, This is what I have, this is what I have come to do. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. It's upon me. I'm anointed. And I'm here to do the following. He says, number one, I'm going to preach the gospel to the poor. I'm going to heal. And I'm going to proclaim liberty to the, or freedom to the captives. I'm going to set at liberty those that are oppressed. And I'm going to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm going to tell you that this is the time where you can be accepted by the Lord. You can be accepted by the Lord, my brother. God is ready to welcome you into his kingdom. God is ready to welcome you as his child. John chapter 1, 12 says, For everyone who has believed in him, he has been given the right, the authority to become the child of God, to be called the son of God, to be called the daughter of God. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. 2021 is the acceptable year of the Lord. You can be accepted into the kingdom also. But Jesus, the Bible says in verse 19, then, after, he, after that, he closed the book. After he mentioned those five things, he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant. And he sat down. Now, this is what happened. When Jesus went back to sit down, he did not go back to sit where he was before. He went and he sat on the Messiah's seat. He went and sat on the Messiah's seat. He, he went and sat on the seat that nobody has ever sat on before. And everybody was astonished. Everybody was surprised. That's why the next 
uh, part of the scripture says, and the eyes of all, not, not one, all of them, the eyes of all who were in the synagogue, they were fixed on him. All of them, they wondered, what's going on with this young man? How can he sit on, he does not that that seat, nobody sit on that seat. And Jesus, when he saw that, they were all surprised. Verse 21, let's see what he says. And he, be, he began to say to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled before you in your hearing. This scripture that I just read has just been fulfilled before you. What he was saying is, I am that Messiah that you have been waiting for. I am that Messiah that you have been waiting for. So Jesus came to do five things the first time he came. To preach the gospel to the poor and he did that. To heal the broken and he healed many people. To proclaim liberty to the captives. To set at liberty those who were oppressed. And to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. But that's not what the original prophecy said. Let's go back to the original prophecy. Because Jesus did not read, like we said, the whole, uh, he did not read the whole chapter or the whole part of that scripture. The whole prophecy. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 61. That's where Jesus opened. Jesus, I mean, Isaiah 61 verse 1 says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. That's what he read. Because the Lord has anointed me to do the following. Number one, this is the prophecy, remember. Almost 400 years before Jesus was born. It was prophesied. So all these Jews, uh, these Jews, they were expecting the Messiah to do this. Number one, to preach the gospel to the poor. Number two, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. Number three, to proclaim liberty to the captives. Number four, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. Number five, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. And Jesus, that's where he ended. That's where he ended. That was his assignment. But prophet Isaiah says, no, that's not all. Prophet Isaiah continues in verse, uh, verse 2, he says, and the day to proclaim the day of vengeance of our God and also to comfort all those who mourn. When Jesus Christ came for the first time, he came and, and did part of his assignment. He only did the first five. His assignment is not complete. Jesus is still coming back. To complete the second part of his assignment. Because Jesus had seven things to do in his assignment. His complete assignment had five items. Had seven items, I'm, I'm to say. But Jesus only did five. There are still two outstanding items that Jesus still needs to do as part of his assignment. Number one, Jesus still has to come back. He has to come back to proclaim the day of vengeance. Of our God. Number two, he still has to come back to comfort all those who mourn. The first time when Jesus came, he came as a savior. He came as an advocate. He came as a lawyer. But now when Jesus comes back, he comes back as a judge. He's not coming back as a savior. He's coming back to, to, to judge the world. To judge those who have rejected him. Vengeance simply means to revenge, to retaliate, to punish. And Jesus is coming back to punish those who have rejected him. When we hear the gospel today as we preach, and you decide to reject it, you decide to ignore it, Jesus is coming back to retaliate. He's coming back to punish you for that. Now he's not here as a punisher, he's here as a savior. He's here to save you. He's here to save you. I will advise you to accept him as your Lord and your Savior tonight. As you get this opportunity, accept Christ as your Savior tonight. Because when he comes back, he's not going to come back as a Savior. He's not coming back with peace. He's coming back to be a judge. And what happens is that judgment that we are talking about, it's going to happen during the period of tribulation, the great tribulation that we talked about. After Jesus has come to take his church to take his Christians up during the rapture. What's going to happen here on earth is what we call the great tribulation. That's a great tribulation that will come. And also Jesus will come to comfort those who are mourning. Those who are in pain right now. 
I know you are feeling pain. All of us are feeling pain right now. Some of us, we have lost our friends. As I'm talking right now, some of us, we have lost our relatives. Some of us, we have lost our aunts. We have lost our colleagues. We have lost our fathers. We have lost our mothers. Some of us, we have lost our wives. Some have lost their husbands. Let me assure you, Jesus is coming back to comfort you. Your mourning will not be forever. There will come a time when you will meet with them again. All your cry will be over. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. We all feel the pain. We all feel the pain. And there is no amount of words that I can speak to you to comfort you. But the ultimate comfort will come from the Lord. Will come from the Lord. Please be comforted. Please have hope in the knowledge that your separation from your loved ones is temporal. It's temporal. Don't throw away your hope. It's like when you have a cell phone and you pass a place where there's no good network or where there's no connection. You don't throw away your cell phone because you know that the disconnection is just temporal. It's just temporal. At some point, the network will connect again and you'll be able to connect and use your phone. It's the same thing with us. All the people that we have lost, all our loved ones who have, who have gone up with to be with the Lord, one day we'll reunite with them. It's a temporal separation. It's a temporal separation. And that should comfort us. That should comfort us. Paul says, like we said before, but I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. We are people of hope. We are people of hope. Heaven is waiting for us. Heaven could not be complete without you and me. We will do all to make sure that whatever God has promised, it gets fulfilled in our lives. Because God will fulfill whatever He promised to us, but we also have to do our part. And our part is to become Christians. Our part is to accept Him. Our part is to accept His truth. The truthfulness, the truthfulness of the Bible is based on the proof of the second coming of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, be comforted. We are people of hope. You must have hope. Let's believe that Jesus is coming back again. Yes, there were more than 100 prophecies that talked about Jesus. And all those prophecies were fulfilled in his first coming. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3, prophesied about what will happen to Jesus. Like I said, that's more than 400 years before Jesus was born. The prophet Isaiah prophesied, he says, he is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrow. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. I like verse 5. That's what we always quote as Christians in, in most places, in most time when we pray for our healing. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him. And by his wounds, by his stripes, we are healed. That was a prophecy about Jesus. All that Jesus did when he came here, it was a fulfillment of the prophecies about him. In actual fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to, us, uh, to abolish the law or the prophets. No! I have not come to abolish them, but I have come to fulfill them. Jesus came to make sure that you fulfill what the prophets prophesied about him. All those, his miraculous birth, it was prophesied in the Old Testament. His riding on the donkey when he went to Jerusalem. It was prophesied. It's there. His rejection by men. It was written in Isaiah 53 like we just read. He fulfilled all that was prophesied about him. His crucifixion was prophesied. His piercing of his hands and feet. It was prophesied. When his clothes were distributed or divided, it was prophesied. So everything that Jesus did, it was prophesied. And the last one, 
He's coming to rescue the church. He's coming to rescue the church, to save the church from the coming uh, great uh, tribulation that we talked about. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 14, the Bible says, If we believe that Jesus died and rose again, yes, if you believe that Jesus died, if you believe that Jesus came, even so, God will bring him with those who sleep in him. If we believe that Jesus came before, yes, we have to believe that he's coming back again. He's coming back again. And verse 15, For this we say to you, by the word of God, of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who have asleep. The Bible says when Jesus Christ comes back during rapture, those who are asleep or those who are dead, they will rise. Those who have died in the Lord, those who will be Christians at that time, they will arise. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise. Everybody who has died in Christ, they will rise again. That is my hope. That is my belief. That brings excitement to me. Even when I go through the pain of losing my loved one, I still believe that they will rise again. And I will meet with them. Verse 17, the Bible says, Then we who are alive, those will be alive at that time, and remain, they shall be caught up. Caught up, that's rapture. They will be caught up, that's rapture. They will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the end. And that's who shall always be with the Lord. I like verse 8. The Bible says, Therefore comfort one another with these words. These words will comfort you. If these words do not bring comfort to you, I don't know what else will bring comfort to you. I don't know what the radio station will bring comfort to you if these words do not comfort you. Jesus also talked about the great tribulation in Matthew chapter 24. Verse 21 and verse 1. This is what will happen after the church has been caught up. After Jesus has taken the church. There will be great tribulation. There will be great suffering here on earth. And during that time, there will be some who will be saved. Even during that time. Actually, there will be, the Bible speaks of 144,000 Jews. Those are the elect. Who will, who will stand for the truth. Who will say, no, this is not what we agree with. When they see the Antichrist and everybody, uh, that we'll talk about in the next, in the next few minutes. Matthew 24, verse 21 and 22. Bible says, Then shall be great tribulation, great suffering, such as was not since the beginning of the world. This after Christians are gone. There is no Christian who will go through a tribulation. There is no Christian who will go through that difficult time. And except those days should be shortened, they should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, these are the elect of Israel. Those days shall be shortened. Now, if you want to read more about the great celebration, please, please, I will not refer to any prophet. I will refer you to the Bible. Go and read Revelation chapter, uh, from chapter 6 to chapter 19. It talks about the things that will happen here on earth while Christians are gone. The things that will happen here on earth to those who will have rejected Christ. And also go and read Matthew chapter 24. Just read the whole chapter. Jesus talked so much about the great tribulation. He talked so much about what will happen. And if you want to read about the prophets, go and read Daniel chapter 9. He talks about the same thing also. It's very, very important that we should base our belief system on the word of God. Not on anybody's opinion. We don't want to, to hear what so and so thinks. Tell us what the Bible says. And finally, let's talk about the sufferings of the great tribulation. We'll quickly highlight what will go on while Christians are gone, while Christians have been raptured, these are the things that will happen. The rapture will be a seven years period divided by or divided into two sections. You remember we said when the bride and the group are together in the marriage, they will have seven days to celebrate. Their wedding celebration takes seven days. There we go again. So this period will take seven years. While here on earth people are suffering, up there in heaven, the bride and the groom, the church and Christ will be celebrating their unity. Don't be left behind, my brother. Don't be left behind, my sister. And here on earth, there will be an outbreak of plagues and disease. This will even be bigger, bigger than COVID. There will be hail, there will be fires 
unnatural events that will take place where some of the mountains will even be moved into the midst of the ocean. Just go and read. It's in the book of Revelation. The water will turn into blood. We'll have some, sometimes water turns in and they become bitter. There will be darkness all over the world. It will even be darker than, than the Lord's shedding. There will be some, some creatures that are locust-like. And those creatures, they will torment people. And when they torment them, the people will not die. They will just suffer and torment, be tormented. And the Bible says there will come a time where a third of mankind, people will die like flies. In other words, one out of three people that you know, they will die during that time of tribulation. There will be more sin and chaos than what you are seeing now. Whatever thing that you call sin, it will be multiplied maybe a hundred times. Because the Bible says at that point, the Holy Spirit will be taken. Actually, the Holy Spirit is the one who is restricting. Right now, there is limitation when it comes to sin. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, the Bible says, For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work. But, but, the one who now holds it back will continue to do so until he is taken out of the way. Today, the sin that we see, it's not in its full capacity. Sin will be in full capacity once the Holy Spirit is taken back to heaven. You remember in the book of Acts, since the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, He has not been taken back to, to heaven. But once the, the Holy Spirit is taken back to heaven, the only thing that will remain here will be the devil and that will be sinful. Any sin that we can think of, it will be multiplied. It will be multiplied. Now the presence of the Holy Spirit is the one who is restraining the capacity of sin. Once he is gone, all kinds of sin that we can imagine will escalate to its full capacity. That's what's going to happen during that time. And the Bible says there are some people who will be saved at that point. Some people who, who will refuse to accept the mark of the beast. Because that will happen during that tribulation time. When the, when the devil or the beast wants you to, to worship him. Revelation chapter 7 verse 14. So those who will be killed during that time. It, it says, and I said to him, Sir, you are the one who knows. Then he said to me, These are the ones who died in the great tribulation. Oh, so there are some people who will refuse to take the mark of the beast during that time. And they will be killed. And the Bible says they will still be accepted in heaven. They have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb and made them white. So when they are in heaven, the Bible says, these are the people who have escaped, who refused during that time of great, great tribulation. And what you see here during that great tribulation will be the three unholy trinity. We have, the, we have Satan who will behave like, who will imitate God. We have the false prophet who will impersonate the Holy Spirit during that time. And we have the Antichrist. The triple six, who will be the one world ruler at that point, who will be masquerading as the son of God. Let's quickly go through uh, the triple six. What is triple six? What kind of, kind of a creature is that? And I want us to quickly go through biblical numer uh, numerology. This is the numbers, uh, <clears throat> interpretation of numbers in the Bible. One, one, number one, it means unity, represents unity of God. Two, it represents dual nature of mankind. The union, such as the marriage or Jesus Christ and his church, like what you talked about. Three represents Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Faith, hope, and love. God's work, that's number four. And universal truth. Number five. Five represents God's teaching and grace. Number six, I mean seven. I'll go to six later. I'll go to six after seven. I want you to understand seven. Seven represents perfection. Seven represents perfection. Remember when, when, when God created the, the, the universe, on the seventh day, He rested. So He created the whole universe in seven days or in six days. So seven represents completion, perfection. Sabbath is a day of rest. That's the seventh day. God is the only one who is perfect. So the number seven only fits God. And man is lower than God. Man is lower than God. No matter how much you try, you will never be God. You are not God. There's no man who is God. That's why man is six. 
6 represents 1 less than 7. 1 less than 7. 6 represents less than perfection. That is the fallen nature of man. So, triple six, it's a man who tries to make himself God. It's a man who wants to be worshipped by people. It does not matter how many times the six is multiplied. It can never be seven. It can never be complete. So, when you say triple six, 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 it's three sixes. Three, we said to represent three, trinity. So, here is a man who tries to make himself God. And that's where the triple six come from. Actually, the Bible says when the people accept it, either they'll accept his name or they'll accept the, the number triple six. I don't have enough time. Maybe in future we'll, we'll look at this more into details. But number seven represents rebirth. You know, after, after seven, then you start again. Then we have eight. Rebirth. It represents resurrection, new beginnings. Eight, eight, eight. In actual fact, uh, when you put together the name Jesus, in Greek, you put all those letters and you assign numbers to, uh, to, 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 the, to the name Jesus in Greek. It is said that the total number, it comes to 888. So 888 will repent, represent the, rebirth, the resurrection of Jesus. If you look at 8, the way it is, those of you who know numbers, 8, it's, it's, an, it's almost an infinity, the way it is written. Infinity, it's vertical infinity. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. God has no end. He has no end. Number nine represents divine completeness. Uh, we have nine fruits of the Spirit. Number ten represents divine perfection. Man's responsibility. We have the ten commandments. We have the tithe. Is the ten ten plagues in Egypt. You know, number eleven represents connect or it represents. It's connected to chaos, judgment, and number number twelve, God's government. We have the 12 apostles. You know, you look, everything is about 12. We have the 12 disciples, the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. So 12 represent God's government. So you understand about the triple six. Triple six is the Antichrist. What will he do during those seven days, seven years? He will bring about a new religious system that will accommodate everyone. All this religious, he will say, oh, there is only one God. All these religious belief systems, they all lead us to the same God. There's no more Christianity, no Muslim, nothing, you know, Buddhism. All of us, we are one. And that's what he will promote. Trying to bring unity. He will control the world's economic system. The whole economic system of the world will be controlled by him. That's why we will be able to say, well, if you do not take my mark, then there's no way you can buy or sell. This will be a man of sin. He will be the most wicked ruler most wicked human being who was ever born. Actually, Revelation chapter 13, verses, he talks about him. He says, he required everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be given a mark on the right hand or on the forehead. Verse 17. And no one could buy or sell anything without that mark, which was either the name of the beast or the number representing his name. You remember I talked about the number, verse 18, wisdom is needed here. Let the one with understanding solve the meaning of the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man. Remember, it's a number of a man, and his number is 666. This is going to take place during the tribulation, during the seven years of tribulation. As a Christian, please. Do not be afraid of the triple six. Do not be scared of the triple six. When it happens, you will be gone. You don't have to worry about all this tribulation. You don't have to worry about all this trouble. Don't worry about it. That's what the Bible says. What else do you have to understand about the mark of the beast, about the triple six? During that time, there will be others to worship him. So he will say, it's either you worship me or... You don't. If you worship him, then you have to. You must have sort of a mark of some kind to show that you belong to him. So people will not be tricked into getting this mark. It will not be. It will not be done through a vaccine. People will voluntarily say, "Yes, I want the mark," and they will know that they are taking the mark of the beast. They will be taking the mark of the triple six. 
Let's not believe in all these conspiracy theories. It is not biblical. Let's read the Bible and understand what, understand what the Bible says. By accepting the mark, you'll be rejecting Christ. So it's either you take the mark openly or you reject Christ openly or you accept Christ openly. Those who will accept Christ openly, those are the ones who will be killed that we have seen uh, in the previous chapter of, of, Romans, uh, of Revelation, uh, chapter 13. Those are the ones that we have seen. So you, people will accept that mark openly. The purpose of the mark will be to pledge allegiance to the beast. It will be open. It will not be brought through something that uh, some unscrupulous ways that you do not understand or mysterious way. No, people will openly accept and say, we want to worship you. We don't want this God. And during that time, there will be one world government at that point. All the governments will be working together, will be falling under one rule. Those who refuse to get the mark will neither buy nor sell. So you might, they might die of starvation or they will be killed. Some people will refuse. There will be some people who will refuse to worship the beast, like I said. And the Bible says there will be 144,000 Jews who will be sealed to preach the gospel. So the Jews will be preaching the gospel during that time and say, oh, we missed the Messiah when he came, when he sat on that seat. We missed him. That was the Messiah. And when the during that time, the Bible says, this beast, the, the Antichrist, he will go and, and take a seat in the temple in Jerusalem. And the Jews will say, no, no, you are not the Messiah. Oh, we miss the Messiah. And these 144,000 Jews, the Bible says they will be sealed and they will be the one who will be spreading the gospel all over the world. You cannot deny or you cannot do any business. If you, once you deny him, you cannot do any business. You cannot do any transaction as long as you deny the mark, as long as you refuse to take the mark. You know, in the olden days, before the computers, before the internet, before the cell phones, all of us were wondering, how will this happen? How will they connect the world? How will they know what's happening in America while we are in, in Africa? How will we know what's happening in Australia while we are in Zimbabwe? But now, that question is irrelevant. The whole world is interconnected. It was so hard to imagine how will this prophecy be fulfilled? Because there was no connection in the whole world. There was no connection in the whole world. But now we are all interconnected. But let me tell you, my brother, my sister, we are not there yet. It's still coming. And this will happen after Jesus has taken up his church after Jesus has taken up his church that's what's going to happen actually look in Matthew chapter 24 verse 21 for there will be great anguish or trouble than at any time since the world began and it will never be so great again verse 22 in fact unless that time of calamity is shortened not a single person will survive this is how difficult it will be at that time but it will be shortened for the sake of, the, of God's chosen ones. Matthew 24, verse 42, Jesus says again, Therefore keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. I'm going to close with this, brothers and sisters. We are people of hope. We are people of hope. If you accept Christ now, you are guaranteed to escape that difficult time that we are talking about, the Great Tribulation. It has not yet appeared yet. It's still coming. It's still coming. And our faith will be based on the Word of God. We have to feed our spirit with the Word of God. We have to read the Word of God. So our eyes should be open. Heaven is prepared for you. Jesus said, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'll come back. That where I am, you will be also. So heaven is a prepared place, but not for everyone. It's only for the prepared people. You have to prepare yourself. How do you prepare yourself? How do you put on the wedding gown? By accepting Christ as your Lord and Savior. There is no alternative. Jesus says, watch and pray. Be ready for His coming. 
Watch and pray. God is waiting to accept you. Heaven could not be complete without you. And the Bible says the believers will share in the Lord's glory up in heaven. And if you are walking with the Lord, if you are a Christian, please rejoice. Be encouraged. Be a man of hope. Be a woman of hope. We believe that there are greater things that are coming. Not only will you escape judgment, but you will share in God's glorious return. In God's glorious return. And the Bible says in closure, Revelation 22 verse 12 says, And behold, I'm coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone, to everyone, to everyone according to his work. What is your expectation? Are you expecting to receive any reward from the Lord? Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. This is not time to play church. He's coming back. We have to be ready. The pandemic we are seeing now, it's not even half, it's not even a quarter of what is still coming. Greater things are still coming. Of course, nobody knows the day nor the hour. If there is any prophet who tells you he knows that Jesus is coming back next week or next month or next year, he is lying to you, run away from that prophet. Nobody knows when Jesus is coming. We should just stay ready. Just like the groom. Because we know Jesus is coming back.